I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go to support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Miracle Voices. This is your co-host, Matt McCabe. I'm here with my co-host, Tam Morgan. Tam, how are you doing today? Doing very well. It's We're recording this on the beginning of the eve of the Jewish New Year, so I say Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. Yeah. And to our friend down under, Carrie Howry, welcome to Miracle Voices. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here today. Tell us We're where you are in Australia, we, so the listeners can get a visual or a sense of geography. So I'm coming to you from Adelaide, South Australia, which is on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. Nice. And I have to mention this just because I'm kind of a weather snob, is that it's it's one of the five places on Earth with the uh, Mediterranean weather. So you have near-perfect weather, kind of like San Diego, Spain and Portugal, Chile, and, and South Africa, you reminded me of. Ooh. You're absolutely correct, Matt. Near perfect weather in a near perfect location. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Carrie, why don't we just start with how A Course in Miracles came into your life? I have been interested in what I call the three big questions of life Who am I really? Why am I here? And only more recently, the final questions came into the mix. What is the true nature of reality? So already as a a young person, I asked myself a lot, who am I? Why am I here? I should have maybe studied philosophy at university instead of journalism, but uh, that's the the path I, I did take. And while living overseas in Switzerland, I I was um, quite disorientated and that's where my original, I guess, spiritual exploration began in an attempt to come up with some answers to, to those two questions. Initially, it took me on the path of uh, evangelical Christianity, which is what I lived for about the next 15 to 20 years. And as part of that, I ended up working as a journalist for an international not-for-profit organisation, which took me to Budapest in Hungary in the early, very early 90s, so 1990, 91, around there. And... um, I will revisit that when I I share my forgiveness story. 
But the next uh, 15, 20 years took me to different places around the world. I traveled a lot through my work. Eventually, 2004, I returned to Australia to, to be based back here. And I transitioned into my second career, which is as a professional life coach and also working within the vocational training sector here in Australia. As part of that uh, return back to Australia, to Adelaide, I also, again, it was a, a time of, of change, of readjustment, and there had been aspects of my spiritual beliefs and thinking that I had always found difficult to really accept and understand. And also I started experiencing, um, I'd always been uh, dealing a little bit with anxiety to various degrees, but it really started flaring up in, in more than, than it ever had, even though there was nothing really happening in my day-to-day -day life to explain why I was feeling so highly anxious. And I started questioning some of my beliefs because I realized that a lot of them were quite fear-based or I was approaching them from that perspective. And I started questioning my beliefs and a big part of that was also um, the very dualistic nature of how I was understanding and living at that time my Christian faith and what was right and wrong and these very clear delineations between that. I started what I call decluttering my, my spirituality, my, my spiritual beliefs and ideas. And it was a process, a very conscious process of about one year where I realized at the end of it that all I was left with was God is love. And this idea that we are one However, for me, it was inclusive of everyone, regardless of whether in Christian terminology they were lost or saved or knew um, Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour or not. So by this stage, my theology was so far off track of what was accepted in my church, in my um, spiritual group, that I began to realise I needed to withdraw myself and I resigned from leadership, I resigned from another position. I joined a small home group that even after a few years there, I withdrew from that. And I was looking for some other ways of living in the world and understanding the world and beyond the world that sat with me. And then slowly as I broaden my reading and exploration, I started stumbling across this thing called A Course in Miracles. I had no idea really what it was and I ignored it initially and it kept popping up. And then it all really started gaining momentum when I was visiting a friend in 2017 and she recommended I read uh, Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love, which I did. And that gave me a little bit more exposure to some of the, the ideas behind A Course in Miracles. So I explored a little bit further. I found a PDF version of the workbook and I printed some of those because I didn't want to buy the book if I 
didn't really, if it didn't really resonate with me. And I did find it a little bit difficult to get into, but I started with the lessons. I was doing more internet searching on the course and someone recommended that if we're finding it a little bit difficult to understand that another good place to start was Alan Cohen's book, A Course in Miracles Made Easy. And that was a bit of the clincher for me. I read his book and I realised, oh, most of this I I totally already, I'm there. And then I, I bought the big blue book and really started committing myself to the lessons and then reading the rest of the book concurrently as I was doing the workbook lessons. And it has just felt like coming home and resonated with me once I got my head around the Christian terminology, having just extricated myself from one faith system based around a book and certain terminology to now another book, except a big blue book, and this terminology. Once I understood the differences, it all made so much more sense. And I would say um, it has become the, the spiritual path and practice that has most um, sat with me and that I'm very comfortable to continue exploring. Yeah. Mm. It's, a, it's amazing how often we're hearing uh, the Alan Cohen book, which uh, my wife and I discovered too, and that was super helpful. I haven't read A Return to Love, but it's amazing how many of these on-ramps are out there and how much we're all attracted to them in the same way. And it's just like when it's you know, it's your time. It's like, boom, here it is right in front of you and you're, you get it. And it's just like, oh, there's a missing puzzle piece. Um, when you said uh, you were disoriented when living in Switzerland, what did you mean by disoriented? So I, I'm Swiss born and we immigrated to Australia when I was six years old. And I grew up speaking more than one language so Swiss dialect as well as uh, High German with my Oma and Opa in Germany when we visited there. And as I think many immigrant kids or third culture kids, I had a real challenge of working out, and this, is, this goes back to the question of who am I really, um, how Aussie am I, how Swiss am I. I knew I didn't really fit in here. And so when I finished uni, I went back to Switzerland um, to just actually visit and then I ended up staying there for a year to kind of work out, well, where are my roots? Where do I belong? And what was disorientating, I felt I was quite Swiss. But when I got there, I wasn't treated that way. So uh, the Swiss locals... They were friendly, but I just didn't feel that they were very warm or welcoming. And I realised, and, and then there were some some family situations happening that were quite difficult to deal with as well. And here I thought, well, I'm back in my country of birth, but I feel like I'm more of a foreigner than I've ever felt anywhere. Not that I had travelled that extensively at that time, but I thought, well, I'm clearly not very Swiss and I didn't understand a lot of the cultural and social rules that were unspoken. I just knew that I was I was putting my foot in it and stuffing things up socially in a way that I yeah, I, I just knew I was I felt very uncomfortable. I just didn't know how to navigate 
social situations, my language. I sound very Swiss. I have my dialect is is it's good. I, I sound like I'm Swiss, but my vocab is very restricted because I stopped speaking it really when I was about 15. And so people would look at me and they'd either think I was maybe not quite the full quid in the head or a bit slow, or they'd ask, so which canton are you from? And then I'd explain, well, I'm from Canton, Australia. <laughs> oh, okay. So sometimes it's a blessing to have an accent because yeah. then people forgive you when your grammar's a little bit wrong or the way that you express yourself is a little bit simplistic because I did not have that sophisticated level of, of language that my accent corresponded or should have corresponded with. So that's what I mean by feeling quite disoriented. And most of my friendship circle ended up being expats or Swiss um, young people like me where one parent was maybe Swiss and the other parent was something else or they had grown up in South America, but because one of their parents was Swiss was back in Zurich and studying. So I had quite a, a multicultural friendship group. Mm, that that makes a lot of sense and it really does sound like you were you didn't quite know it but you were really looking for who am I really um absolutely and so you you went there to think you found home but that's not where home was and of course realizing now of course I'm not gonna going to ever feel at home in this reality because it's not where any of us actually belong. We're all kind of immigrant kids, right. and uh, this is this is not not the real home. Yeah. yeah. And for people that aren't familiar with that term, third culture kid, can you just quickly explain what that means, Carrie? So, third culture kid is a term that refers to kids that grow up in. They may have parents from different cultures. They may be immigrant kids who are growing up in yet an, uh, another culture. So they're usually straddling about two or three different cultures. It also refers to children who, where the parents are expats. So they might be working in the oil industry or banking or into some other international education type scenarios, mission organisations. So where the children are moving around the world. And when you ask them, oh, so where are you from? They find it very difficult to answer that question because, well, am I Australian because my mum's Australian? Am I Spanish because I'm my dad's Spanish, but we're living in, in Morocco. So am I Moroccan because this is where I go to school and where I live? So it can be quite, um, yeah, a, a bit of a mishmash for those young people. Yeah. yeah. So not only- and it's funny. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. It's not only who am I, but where am I and where am I from? <laughs> yeah. And in that too, it's like when you think of that mishmash and then you are on a spiritual path when you realize, wow, we're all one. There is a sense of home, but talk about a mishmash if we're all one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we are everything. <laughs> and everywhere. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, grounding it deeper and deeper, because if, if you're in the first realization of we're all one and you are not feeling like you don't want to feel like you are, what's the term that, that you just explained? Third culture. Third culture, right. You are yeah. so far from, you know, 15th, 100th culture. 
um, to, so that for you not to split apart with that realization of we're all one, actually quite the opposite. Yeah. It brings you home. And speaking of which, would love to hear your forgiveness story, Carrie, which takes place in yet another culture that's neither Switzerland or Australia. Yes, I, I have been based and lived in a few different continents and countries. And my forgiveness story starts in in Budapest, in Hungary, where I lived for two years in the early 90s, as I mentioned. And what happened there was that I was learning the language and visiting local friends, and I was travelling home to the part of Budapest where I lived at the time, and I was walking up the hill to to the house uh, where I live, which was more or less on to, on top of the hill. I was moving very slowly because at the time I was experiencing some quite severe problems with my back, and part of the treatment was wearing a back brace, and that was like a wide, elasticized band that went from um, like pretty much around my entire torso. So basically, I couldn't really move very well or very fast. So when I I knew someone was, uh, there were people behind me because others had gotten off the bus walking up the hill. So that was not concerning me at all. And because I was walking very slowly, most of them were overtaking me. And then I realised there was one pair of steps, footsteps still behind me, and they weren't overtaking me. And I actually moved to the side of the path to let the person pass and they didn't pass. And I thought that's a bit strange, but I could still hear them behind me. And then the next thing that happened was I felt this arm around my neck and that I was being grabbed from behind. And I think the intention was to grab my handbag and then run off with it. There was a lot of little winding streets and lanes all over this hill and it was dark but it was only 7.30 in the evening, but it was winter. So I was also wearing my friend's um, down jacket at the time, which was a a purpley colour. And um, I I freaked out. I started screaming. uh, And then I, I was tussling with him, but because I had my bag sort of around my neck, I didn't have it over my shoulder because anyone who's done a little bit of travel would know that that's a very easy way to lose your bag. And I had already experienced that on an earlier uh, journey. So I always had my bag around my neck and then across my body. So he couldn't just grab it and run without taking me with him. So when there was that resistance, that's when we started tussling. And I couldn't defend myself because I couldn't move. I couldn't run around. I could just turn my head and see that he was much shorter than me. Um, And... I think without the back brace, I probably would have done a pretty good job of being able to fight him off being quite a tall person, but I was just quite immobile. And then I felt this weird pressure and jiggling in my back and I thought, I don't know what he's doing, but, um, yeah, what is going on? At that point, I dropped to my knees And um, I felt a bit of a sting on my hand because I was trying to grab his arm away from my neck, still screaming very loudly. And then I kind of realised, I think I'm being stabbed. So it was was like I was living in a two-speed world. There was 
And this is the first time I had this real sensation of the observer me, that there was this other part of me that was looking at what was happening, not down on myself. I hadn't left my body or anything, but it was quite calm and it was quite uh, rational and logical while the other part of me was screaming her head off and and very afraid and terrified and and fighting and struggling. And the calm part of me was was saying, um, oh, so this is how it ends. And so there's a part of me that thought, well, I'm not getting out of this alive. But it was it was weird. It was just quite calm about it. But then the other the other part that was I guess experiencing it in that in the physical reality was certainly not very calm. A young couple came running and um, I think they scared him off or maybe my screeching and screaming scared him off, but he ran away. He didn't get my bag. Um, I realised that there was a knife or something involved because my hand felt very sticky, but I didn't feel any pain. And that's why I was very confused about what had actually happened. And this lovely young couple, they walked me up the hill. They could see how distressed I was. They guessed what was happening. Now, um, they took me to this little bar because that was all that was open at that, that time of night. All the shops had closed. And the people in the bar, they could see this blood all over my hands. So they were fussing over my hand. But I was really worried about what had happened to my back. And my Hungarian was still very basic. It's a very difficult language to learn but I managed to say knife in, in back, knife in back, but they weren't really hearing me. So I took off because I was wearing this purple colored jacket. No one could see anything, even when I turned around. So when I, I took my coat off and then turned around and then there was this collective, oh my goodness. Well, the Hungarian equivalent of that. And, um, and then I realized, oh, this is really serious. I remembered my address and was able to tell them what my address was. And they went to get someone from the house. Remember, this is before mobile phones or anything like that. And this was just after Hungary had opened up. So communications were still, uh, not everyone had a phone, that kind of situation. Anyway, they had a phone, they phoned the ambulance. It was a rickety 1950s model. Um, it went over cobbled stones and I thought I was going to bounce out of the, um, the the stretcher bed thing in there. I was taken to hospital. I was examined there. The neurosurgeon was interesting character. He examined me and he then said, look, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really quite amazing because the knife hit it seems to have hit the top edge of the brace, which took all of the or most of the pressure. And it, when it went in, it didn't go in full force. And so it's missed, um, it's missed your lung, it's missed your heart, it's missed your spinal cord. You are a very, very yucky, yeah, not yucky, lucky young lady. And I said, well, I'm not lucky. God was looking after me. So this was while I was still a, a very strong, very committed uh, Christian. And he said to me, well, what kind of God is that if he lets this happen 
in the first place. And so I kind of, that lodged in my brain a little bit and I didn't know how to answer. And I just said, well, it could have been a lot worse. And he said, yeah, good point. And kind of left it at that, not realizing he'd kind of thrown me into the start of a bit of a spiritual crisis. So later that evening or that night, I was, so someone from the house, uh, from the team that I was working with had come with me in the ambulance. He went back home to his family. So I was basically on my own in this hospital in a foreign country where I couldn't understand what was happening, where the conditions, they were clean, they were good, but they were very different to what I was used to with respect to hospitals. I, again, felt extremely disoriented. I felt um, at one point abandoned by God because his words came back to me and I thought, well, yeah, God, what's the deal here? Um, If you really loved me, why would you let this happen? And uh, and then I'd bounce back and go, well, bad things happen to people all the time. Why not me? And maybe this is a test of my faith. So I went through all of those those thoughts that, that are often a part of this kind of experience. Fell asleep and had a nightmare that I was walking home from visiting a friend getting stabbed, woke up when I turned over and um, realised that it wasn't a nightmare. It It had actually really happened because I felt this drain tube in my back. And that's when I really had this sense of feeling very abandoned and alone and didn't really know what to do. And It was very, very strange. But in that moment, I had the most or one of the most, it's it's happened another time, a couple of times, the most powerful presence or experience of the presence of love in the room. As if it was a physical entity, it felt like someone was sitting on the edge of the bed with me and that I could feel this sinking of the mattress almost. Now, I have to qualify that with I was on painkillers So some of this could have been drug-induced. However, the sense of being loved and held and that was everything was going to be okay was very real and very strong. And I ended up turning over and going back to sleep, waking up in the morning in a very different state of mind and feeling a lot calmer and a lot more peaceful. I had a New Testament in my bag which I opened very randomly, and this is, it opened up to this particular verse, and even though I'm not a um, follower of the Bible anymore, it's interesting because when I discovered A Course in Miracles, these words, there was a connection. So the verse that really jumped out at me is found in Romans chapter 8, 35, where it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. So sword jumped out at me. And the way my brain was working at the time was, well, if a sword can't separate me from the love of God, a small knife in my back can't either. And that was the start of what I realized was a forgiveness process, albeit in the more traditional understanding of forgiveness, 
But I realized that morning I had a choice to make between fear, bitterness, anger, resentment, and revenge, or a path of love and forgiveness, even if I didn't understand why what happened happened and may never. Uh, That forgiveness process, I think, was very powerful already from that understanding. And I do believe that in terms of forgiving my attacker, I made a lot of progress there to the point where in my recovery, while I was, I had a few panic attacks and I would jump whenever anyone slapped me on the back. Within about six months to a year, I was feeling quite normal again. So, and I was never diagnosed or experienced any kind of PTSD. So, I felt like I had made really good progress with this forgiveness uh, experience and had been able to release him to a certain degree. However, I still had this idea, though, that I was, I had been attacked, that he was the perpetrator of this act um, and that I, out of the goodness and love of God in my heart, had forgiven him. So it was still that understanding of forgiveness. I have to just add that at that time, because I worked for an international organisation that had people working all around the world as well as churches supporting the work, uh, faxes went out about my situation and asked for people to, to pray for me and my healing and recovery. And I know there were thousands of people praying and I think that made a massive difference as well. So I think when people extend love, and support. It doesn't necessarily matter what faith system that is coming through. It's it's very powerful. And I think that was really important. Anyway, fast forward to, I guess, the last year or two. So I've been a course student, a serious course student since 2019. And as part of the process of learning more about the course and what it means to to practice it in my day-to-day life, several events have come back and revisited because of this new, different and more radical or quite radical understanding of forgiveness. And one of the ones that came up was the stabbing incident. And the realisation, now I went through the whole process of forgiving the attacker again but from that more radical perspective and realising, well, when I woke up in hospital that night, I thought I had a nightmare and that now from a cause perspective, that has indeed, that is indeed the case, but even more so in a sense that the whole, that whole reality is part of the dream. And so then I was able to fully forgive him and I think now I can speak about the experience and it really does feel as if it never happened. It happened in this dream and it was maybe a nightmare episode in the dream, but it is now as if it never happened. It has no no ongoing effects in, in my life. However, I realised that while I have forgiven this attacker who stabbed me, that there was another attacker that I still needed to forgive. And that person was me. 
And I realised that I am just as much an attacker as this person who stabbed me in the back because I attack myself. I am a recovering control freak perfectionist. So in my life, I have inflicted a fair bit of damage um, as a result of that kind of uh, approach to life, but also just being, uh, I guess, ignorant. I have attacked myself. I have held myself to very high standards. I have done that to other people. I have had lots of and held lots of judgments and upsets and grievances and attacks on myself and then others. So it was this realisation that whenever I do that, I'm, I'm attacking myself and then when I'm attacking someone else, I'm also attacking me because from a course perspective, they are one and the same in reality. And I remember for the first time reading uh, the lesson 192, where it says, every time you feel a stab of anger, realize you hold a sword above your head and it will fall or be averted as you choose to be condemned or free. So doubled back on that original verse from the Bible, it's taken it to a whole different place where now it's me being the one in some ways that holds um, well, I hold the sword. I hold it above my own head. I use it in attack against others. And so now it's that continuing forgiveness process of myself and others who are all one and the same. So that, in essence, is my forgiveness story and experience, which has come a long way, but of course. Uh, I'm still pretty good at attacking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was great, Carrie. I'm curious, that's quite a story, first of all, (laughs) that you went through that. That's amazing. I'm sorry that happened to you. Question, did you get to a point, like you mentioned that you, you saw the attacker, you realized there's also this at a larger level, like a macro level, you we attack ourselves like when i when i attack myself you kind of see this as a metaphor and there's all these of these metaphors this also the metaphor of getting stabbed in the back and then you know stabbing yourself in the back and there's all these things around that but did you when you got to this forgiveness process did you ever go th- it sounds like you went to the forgiveness to destroy first like hey i'm pardoning you because i'm a better person and you started there and then you did get to a point where did you feel like that this did not occur? Not originally. It was, and you're very, very much uh, correct there, it was that initial forgiveness process was from that um, forgiveness to destroy. Of course, I had no understanding or comprehension of that at the time. However, I still, um, I didn't quite get to the it never happened until the course's perspective of forgiveness came into my life and I started understanding that more and more. It's only from that point um, that it feels like it never really happened. Before, it still was a reality that I would have said was real. However, its impact on me 
was was minimal already back then, but I still held it as it had it did happen, and it's not something I will ever totally be able to, I guess, let go of or um, forgive. Yes, but not forget or let go of in that sense. So there was definitely a different level of loss of effect when the forgiveness process that the course teaches came into into that experience. Hmm. Pam, anything you'd like to add? No. No, I know. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's very complete, I think, you know. Yeah. And that's amazing about the brace too. I mean, it's, I've, I've heard actually a lot of those stories where like some, something that you're not normally wearing or a part have with you, you have like a uh, wallet or like some key or something. And then you see this, you pull out this deformed key and be like, and that's where the hippo grabbed it. And it's like, Oh my gosh. So it's, it's, there's some sort of like, uh, it's almost like a like a there's some protective armament there, and the injury with your back. What why what was the the back problem? The back problem um, is just a structural issue that because I wasn't getting any kind of regular chiro treatment at the time, and I was traveling a lot and uh, traveling in on bumpy roads, in bumpy cars, sometimes sleeping on floors. Uh, This was in the days when, as I mentioned, Eastern Europe was just opening up and there was a lot happening in Romania at the time. There was a lot happening in Hungary. Uh, So I think that aggravated the situation and that's why, um, I mean, I just woke up one morning and, and, and couldn't get up off the floor. So Eventually, my chiropractor here, he was able to find an American chiropractor in Budapest who was just setting up, who was um, a real godsend. And then I was able to get hold of this brace and get some some uh, really excellent treatment. And I spent six months already by w- when this happened wearing this brace and, of course, complaining, oh, well, I'm going to have to wear this brace and duh. And, of course, looking back, I'm extremely grateful for it because had I not worn it, been wearing it that night, um, I mean, who knows, um, the whole parallel universe thing I find fascinating, you know, what would have happened if. However, thankfully, I was wearing that brace and uh, here I am to to share share the experience. Yeah. yeah. And in a story perspective too, I mean, it's you were looking to find your way back home. I mean, that's what your path has been about. Um, and that that truly, in a in a way, God, spirit, universe had your back. You know, you were you were attacked in the back so that you could be in that place of gratitude of finding where your real back was. And I just- have never thought of it that way. Thank you, Tam. Yes. God had my back spirit yeah. already then and and has all of our backs all the time, even when we're stabbing and, ourselves in them. <laughs> yeah, and that was the question. What kind of God could put you through this? Well, God didn't put you through it, but God had your back. 
um, you know, that safety that was there and it was all in this structural, the structural um, unalignment, disalignment, aligned within your back and your back and it had to be rewritten so that there was a grounding so you could move forward in a new way. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. And, and the struggle there, you know, we kind of followed you through the uh, forgiveness to destroy where we, a lot of us start with, you know, all of us start with, you know, forgiveness initially until we understand there's this different forgiveness process. And it's kind of like pushing over a Coke machine. You go back and forth a few times before it goes over. And it's not, it's not like, uh, we're ascended masters and we can immediately move into this uh, forgiveness mode. Immediately we struggle with it and say, no, I was stabbed. Like, here it is. My back's always hurting. It's reminding me. It's like, and, and then it's like, oh, right. The course is, is telling me this. And there's this desire for true forgiveness, but it might not be this visceral thing yet where we experience the course's meaning of forgiveness. And you go back and forth and that struggle is totally normal as, you know, we go on the path and then at some point it just, you know, we, we experience it. So I'm glad you very, shared that. V- yeah. Very and much it, so. Yeah. And, and there's so many lessons that that we are here to learn and can learn within this world of form. I remember I lived in Nepal and traveled through the world and I came home wide open. Like my heart was wide open and I was walking down the street of the streets of New York with a friend and I looked over at a man who was sitting on the on the ground and that's you know so used to people sitting on the ground begging from india and and i said to my friend look look at that man like i was feeling so much love i said like like even that man is so worthy of love and i smiled at him and i walked a few feet further and suddenly i'm grabbed by my hair pulled back onto the ground and that man is screaming you were laughing at me you were laughing at me and I started to laugh with the irony of what was going on right in the moment, which of course was the worst reaction I could ever have. Um, but people actually, people came and pulled him off of me and I was a little bit in shock about it. And that experience for me, I wasn't hurt. I was just surprised was, oh, I'm in the streets of New York. I might need a little better boundaries of where and how that love is expressed. <laughs> Um, and, and what, what do boundaries mean if we talk about in my defenselessness, my safety lies? Um, and, and there's a lot of different layers to, as my mother would say, don't mix levels. You can still be. And in that state. You went out there for a second, Tam. She said you could still be. I'm sorry. Um, still be, still be, um, aware of of what boundaries are um, you're walking in, in the world of form and be careful, be careful. Like, you know, have your own back. What you said, you put your purse on, you know, what they, they say with um, believe in Allah, but tie up your camel. Um, And, and do we do that? If we're in the true state of love grounded, I don't think that's necessary, but I think as we're learning and developing there is a line of form that we do need to interact in with some care. Well said. And yet every lesson is for us, no matter what it is. 
So it's it's that same thing instead of what is happening to me, it's why is this happening for me? And uh, and looking at it from that perspective. But I do find it wonderful that you said you were interested in the three big questions in life of who am I really and why am I here and what is the nature of reality? And then there's Matt's question, which we'll get to after is like, what is my comfort food? No, that's his big fourth question. <laughs> <laughs> and my mother's big one is was always what is this for? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, first we have to do ego storm. Yes. Carrie, when you get caught up in a big ego storm and everything feels real and you know we want to deny and project and it just doesn't feel like this is working, throw the course against the wall. Is there anything you do practically to get back on track? I do. So one amazing, uh, I guess, uh, result of being a core student is that those moments of self-attack and I think attack on others and getting caught up in ego storms and dramas has dropped right down. Um, They still happen, of course, but a lot less intensely and I become aware that I have shifted from love to fear much more quickly. When that happens, and it happened interesting enough just recently, a a couple of days ago, I found myself in a bit of an ego storm um, to a degree that hasn't happened for quite a long time and it reflects quite well what my process tends to be. So in that situation, it was in a public place. Um, So I, but I was with a friend. So when I found myself getting really agitated and getting caught up in that ego storm, I was with a friend. And so initially I kind of vented to her first, which involved dropping three F-bombs in quick succession, that can sometimes help to just really release um, some of the pressure. And thankfully in Australia, swearing is probably a little bit more acceptable than some other other cultures. And so that kind of released the initial emotion and, and energy. Then I had a bit of a vent to her. And then I had the opportunity just very shortly after that to just take a moment for myself. And I took a few deep breaths, which helped me to change my perception on the situation that had just happened and was then able to start getting back to it's absolutely okay. Then there was a development to it, which I just then ended up finding actually quite hilarious. So by the end of um, that and this was over about an hour or so um, that this situation was was unfolding. By the end of the hour, I was actually laughing about it because I thought, oh, this is really quite hilarious. Um, now, so sometimes it's reversed. I take the the moment for myself, take a few deep breaths, and try and change my perception and choose differently, and then talk it through with someone. Talking through it, something really helps me to gain that different perspective on a situation that I often find very helpful. And then usually the next morning, depending on when it's happened, 
when I do the next um, workbook lesson or have that moment of quiet reflection and meditation, I then look at it, start examining it, examining it a little bit deeper. And just like you said, Tam, asking that question. So what was that for? What is it that this I have um, had this come into my awareness or that this situation has happened? What is there for me? to learn and to forgive and to release and hand over. And so that's kind of my process. There's that immediate response and then there's that over time re-examining it and seeing what it is that it was for and that sometimes has a few layers to it because my first conclusion isn't always it. There can be then, oh, no, it's also for this. Oh, and look, it's also for that and uh, and then we go through that process and keep keep learning and I mean it can be years later that you realize and it was for that that and that (laughs) because if I don't deal with it then guess what it comes around again in a different form and uh, we get another opportunity yes absolutely or that that you deepen in your practice Mm -hmm. and realize on a deeper level what something is for Mm-hmm. You might not get it all at once in in one level of awareness. Well, Carrie, now we're to the point. So, my favorite question here is: What yeah. is your comfort food? Oh, I have been reflecting on this because I've listened to all of the Miracle Voices podcasts. And so you know, not to say kale. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely not kale. <laughs> Okay. Definitely Thank not, you. Matt. I'm with you on that. Look, I think my my favourite comfort food, although I would probably have to delete the word comfort because it's just my favourite food um, and it is very comforting, but I, I make it all the time. I It's my favourite thing to eat. Um, it's any type of creamy vegetable-y pasta. Mm. You, so, have, tam, but made, you have tam a creamy, right? Yeah. Right oh, that's Always. right. Always, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Creamy. Yeah. Um, or cheesy. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of noodle and, do you like? Like a rigatoni? Uh, I like a fettuccine, okay. um, a fresh homemade fettuccine, but not made by me. I leave it to the experts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but we can get a type of fettuccine in my local supermarket here that's made in Adelaide and it's fresh pasta, so it's not that dried brutally stuff it's fresh and it just cooks up beautifully and I keep it very simple maybe one or two vegetables um cooked in butter with a with cheese through it maybe a little bit of cream if I have it and when I go out to eat that's another another favorite and I love the quattro formaggi pizza you know the four cheese pizzas Mm. but made you know on an, an authentic wood oven pizza base i call it um i love fondue and uh, swiss right there's a little homage absolutely oh yeah i mean cheese chocolate and wine and and i'm 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 good so um when i and, and it's very difficult to get fondue in australia i can make it but that's a bit of a process as well so i call Quattro formaggi pizza deconstructed fondue <laughs> in a way. So okay. whenever I feel like a fondue, especially in winter, that's my other go-to 
comfort favorite food. Good. That's that's wonderful. Um well thanks for that, Carrie. And Carrie, before we let you go, can you do you have a website or social media or email or anything you want to give out to listeners, talk about your your coaching or anything like that? I do. So I have a website. I do some private coaching. I also love uh, podcasts and uh, do some public speaking if it's uh, in in Adelaide or Australia face-to-face. Obviously, um, outside of those places, it's generally more in a podcast-type format. So uh, my website is www.carriehowry, so my name's spelt out. I'm sure you can you'll put that in the show notes, so I won't spell it out now. Um, but, yeah, www.carriehowry.com, and I'm on Instagram with my name, Carrie Howry. So I can be found on Instagram as well and also on LinkedIn. And, um, yeah, more than happy if if others are looking for someone to invite onto their podcast. I don't have my own. I might much rather prefer to be a guest on other people's. And on my website, there's a list of different topics that I enjoy uh, riffing on and then some of the different experiences. The stabbing one is just one of many weird and wonderful <laughs> experiences I've had <laughs> along life's way that often um, serve as a great way of explaining some of those uh, course principles, especially about spiritual principles, life principles, life wisdom in general, and and, um, and, and answering, helping to answer some of those, uh, yeah, the answer to, to those three three big questions, who am I really, why am I here, and what is the true nature of reality, and the fact that there are answers to those questions to be found. Well, Carrie, thanks so much for coming on Miracle Voices and sharing your Miracle Voice. Have a wonderful beginning of spring down there in beautiful Adelaide, and we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, When you want only love, you will see nothing else.